<laughs> Sorry about that, Ian. <laughs> Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. I know more of you than I did it, and I didn't see very many hands, but that's okay. That's between you and God. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You know, a key truth that we've seen thus far in 2 Timothy is the truth that God has revealed Scripture, and that Scripture is essential for us to support and to stand up for. There are plenty of false teachers out there who will distort and twist the Scripture to fit their own ideas or the ideas of society. But as followers of God, our responsibility is to take a stand on God's truth. And let me just point this out. Taking a stand on God's truth does not just mean that I speak up for it when someone speaks against it. Taking a stand on God's truth means that I live that truth, that my life matches my words. You see, if I send the message, the Word of God is absolute truth and revelation and there's no reflection in my life, have I really taken a stand on God's Word? I think the answer to that question would have to be absolutely not. If I just talk a good game but don't deliver, it's meaningless. God wants us to be people who not only speak about the truth of God's Word, but model it, demonstrate it. Now bear in mind, we're all imperfect. We're all going to have our failures. But there should be a consistency in following God's Word to where our lives reflect it. How do we pull that off? We're going to see a little bit later in the Scripture that God's Word itself has power in our lives. As we study God's Word and as God's Word speaks to us, like the song Ian sang this morning, we will find that God's Word transforms us, that it takes those areas of our life that aren't in line with His truth, and the Holy Spirit applies that to our heart, and the Holy Spirit says this needs to change, and then He empowers us to follow that change. So that's the direction we'll be heading in this morning, and we're going to see how essential it truly is to stand up for the Word of God. Now, as we come to the 10th verse of this passage, we find that the Apostle Paul begins to talk to us about promoting God's truth. And when we promote God's truth by talking to other people about it, it's not always going to be well received. There are going to be those that look at us and will oppose us because we take a stand for something that is absolute and something that is true, the very Word of God. And people don't like to be told in our day and age that there are absolutes. When they look at the Scripture, they like to be able to sort of make it fit what they want it to fit. For us to take a stand and say God's Word is true and this is what I base my life on and this is true not only for me, but it's true for all people all of the time. We're seen as narrow. We're seen as naive. And we're seen as people who need to be opposed. But God's Word tells us that it's important for us to recognize that His Word is truth. We're taught it. We can see it lived out by others. We can see the power of God's Word in people's lives. 
Look at this 10th verse. And notice Paul begins by sharing with Timothy that it's necessary to teach God's Word and to live it out. And he gives himself as an example. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. The Apostle Paul was calling Timothy as a witness of his life. You see, Paul had committed his life to God and his service. And he had committed himself to sharing the Word of God. And what he's saying to Timothy is this. Look at my life and use that as a model. You know, when I read this, I started asking myself, would I want to say to somebody, use my life as a model? Follow what I'm doing and you'll be just fine. That's a challenging question, isn't it? We need to understand that whether we view our lives as a model or not, there's somebody that's watching us. And whether we realize it or not, they are. The Apostle Paul was saying to Timothy, look, I have been committed to teaching God's truth. Paul didn't teach his own ideas. He didn't teach the current ideas of philosophy. He was committed to teaching the truth of God. And that's what we should commit ourselves to as well. Taking the principles of God's truth and sharing it with other people. You see, when we look in Scripture, the word teaching that's translated teaching here in the original language of the Greek, it was a word that is often used for following a discipleship type of teaching where you take somebody under your wing and you mentor them. We should have the type of life that follows God's Word so much that we are mentoring other people in our teaching. And that's what Paul communicates to Timothy, and Timothy would know that well because Paul had been his discipler, his mentor. And so when he calls on Timothy, look at my life, understand what I have been teaching you, he was able to say that I have consistently presented God's Word. Then, not only was there the teaching, but notice the next phrase there in the 10th verse. My way of life. As I said moments ago, it's one thing to talk about Scripture. And that's important. We need to teach what God's Word says. But what happens when you teach what God's Word says and then do the complete opposite? Let me say your actions speak much louder than your words. If I am consistently saying to somebody, do this because God's Word says to, and then they catch me all the time doing the complete opposite, have I really communicated God's truth? I'm talking about it on a theoretical realm, when what I ought to do is talk about it on the practical life realm, to where I am showing by my behavior what I believe in my heart. And so Paul was saying that had been his example with Timothy, and I believe that he's sharing that with Timothy so that Timothy could be that example to somebody else. But then look at the list that follows. After he talks about his teaching and his way of life, he goes into talking about his purpose. You know, someone has once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. We need to understand that we should have a purpose in our life that is set by the Word of God. We need to be people who are constantly looking to implement what God has called us to do in His Word. 
That's our purpose. If we don't have a purpose, we will flounder. That's true for individuals, and that's true for a church as well. We need to understand God's purpose for us. And if we don't know it, we need to discover it. And then we need to, with tenacity, hold on to that purpose. The Apostle Paul did that, and that's what kept him going. Then look at the next part of the list. He mentions his faith. Living out God's truth comes by living out faith. In fact, the Scripture is very clear that if we aren't living by faith only in the power of our own strength, then we're not pleasing God. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Let me ask you this. Do you live your life by faith? And by faith, what I mean is this. Looking at what God's Word says and looking and saying, hey, even though this doesn't work out and I can't see in my humanity how this could possibly work out, God says to do it, so therefore I'll do it. Or do we look at the Scripture and say, well, you know, I'm not sure it's going to work in this instance. I think I'd better do something else. God wants us to live by faith. When we don't live by faith, we don't please God. It's that simple. And so we should be examples of walking by faith. And you know what happens when we walk by faith? We're going to have patience. Now, patience is also translated as long-suffering when we find it in other texts in the Bible. And if you have to take long-suffering and patience and really... Put it into just a simple definition. It means putting up with stuff. You see, sometimes there are going to be people that we have to put up with. And I'm trying to look right down the aisle so nobody thinks I'm talking about them. (laughs) But there are people that come into our lives that frankly are a challenge for us. And we've got to put up with them. Faith is the only way we can do that, I guarantee. God wants us to live out our faith in such a way that even the difficult people in our lives, we put up with them. And sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes we're put into circumstances that are seemingly intolerable. But godly patience, that is the byproduct of faith, will get us through. And let me tell you something. When as a believer you see somebody who's in terrible circumstances holding on to the faith that does something for you about the faith. As a pastor, it's been my privilege to be at the bedsides of several people who have gone home to be with the Lord. Several of them suffering as they left. One man in particular that I remember who passed the closing breath, he was singing, Jesus loves me. And that touched my heart. And it showed to me a strength that can come from faith. A strength that will be there to get us through the most difficult of circumstances. Growing in our faith also produces love. God wants us, in His Word... He expresses it to be loving people. And just as it takes God's grace and strength to be patient, 
It really takes God's strength and grace to be loving, doesn't it? Now, it's easy to love the people that love us. Shoot, I'm so lovable, I just can't imagine why anybody wouldn't love me, right? But the people that are flat out dead set against you, that's challenging to love them. Everybody loves those who love them. But to love somebody who just can't stand you and you can't figure out why, that's tough. God wants us to be loving. And he wants us to treat one another with that kind of love. In fact, Jesus said it this way. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have you ever thought about this? When you demonstrate unconditional love toward another person, you are standing up for the word of God. You are demonstrating to others the word of God is truth. While in my humanity, I don't want to love this person because God has said to do it, I will. I will choose to love this person no matter what. That's what God wants us to do. That's the way he wants us to live. The final one in this list before we get to verse 11 is endurance. It's very closely related to patience. And once again, it's the idea of living out the truth by sticking to it and not abandoning it. Endurance means you hang in there. You see, when you face persecution, when you face those passages of Scripture that you read and you don't understand and you say, how can I figure this out? And you hang with it and you study it until you understand its meaning. That's enduring. God wants us to be people of endurance. To face the opposition that stands against us. To face our own doubts and questions. And stand strong on God's truth. Understanding that I am not the one who has to understand everything to make it true. Isn't that just a little bit arrogant? If I don't understand it, it must not be true. In that case, quantum physics isn't true. I don't understand it. My brother wrote a dissertation that thick for his doctorate. I couldn't make it through the first paragraph of the introduction. <laughs> didn't make his dissertation untrue. It just meant I didn't understand it. And you know, that's the same thing with the Scripture. There are going to be passages of Scripture that we read that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean that I come to the place to where I say, well, then if I don't understand it, it isn't true. Who's to say that I'm the standard? You could have a mentally challenged person who wouldn't understand very much of the Scripture. Does that mean that that's all untrue? Or you could have a brilliant person who would understand many of the things that I don't understand in the Scripture. Does that mean that that person sets the bar? No. God has said that He has set the bar for the Scripture, that it is all true. And we need to humble ourselves before Him in faith, and accept that and endure through the doubts, through the questions, through the opposition of people coming and throwing these things in our faith. Secondly, in promoting God's word, we need to understand that persevering in trials will come through depending on the Lord. Part of the list that Paul mentions here as to how he had demonstrated the word of God is found in verse 11 when he mentions two things, persecutions and sufferings. 
Listen, if you are living for God, you will face persecution. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be cast into jail or beaten, but you will face those who, oppo- who will be in opposition to your views and to your way of living. And they will express it and try to stop what you stand for. And that's the truth. The Apostle Paul was told very early on after his conversion that he would suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to Ananias and he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul knew from the onset that he was going to have to face terrible persecution because he would take a stand for the truth. And notice he gives some examples that Timothy would have been familiar with. And we, for the time's sake, or the sake of time, won't go into each of these examples. But he mentions areas that he had suffered persecution in, in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. And he endured terrible persecutions. Now, let me encourage you. Go into the book of Acts and read about these towns where he had people who opposed him, sometimes physically. The Apostle Paul faced terrible persecution. He was stoned and left for dead. He was constantly challenged and debated by those who stood against his teaching. He faced people who wanted to kill him every day because of what he taught, the word of truth that God had given him. So what God's word is saying to us is this. Look, when you pursue a righteous life, you can just expect persecution. It's it's going to come. And that's a fact that we need to embrace. You see, there are some people that think, hey, As long as I'm following God's path and God's truth, everything's going to be smooth operating. And if things become difficult and challenging, then I must have missed God's will somehow. Because my life is hurting so much, somehow God is punishing me and I'm not fully in His will. You know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. When we follow God... The forces of evil, and some of them are spiritual, some of them are human, will seek to stop us from following that path. And that's something that we should expect. Look at verse 12. Paul really lays it on the line here when he goes on to say, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted you're going to face some sort of opposition in some way if you follow Christ and you lead a godly life. And that's the fact. But what can we count on? The Lord rescues us. Right at the end of verse 11, we can count on God rescuing us. Now, sometimes that means Him giving the grace to endure those persecutions. For some people around the world, it means the ultimate rescue where God allows them to give their life, but they're brought into heaven where they never suffer any persecution again. God rescues the soul. So we need to grasp that as well. Now as we continue in the text, 
we find that the Word of God goes on to talk about how the perpetrators of evil will grow worse and worse. I want you to look at the contrast that takes place. In verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul talks about those who would oppose the right teaching of God's Word. Those who would look at it and find that it's something that they need to just squash, it's untrue, and they are offended by it. But then, as we come to the 13th verse, in contrast to those who would stand for the Word of God, these are those who are offended by the truth of God. These are those who who seek to stop it, to twist it, to distort it in whatever way that they can. So look at the 13th verse. While evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are those who will stand for God's word and those who will stand against it. Those who will stand against it are described in several ways here in the 12th verse. First of all, they are evil men. And the word evil there carries with it bad behavior. In other words, here's the point. They don't believe in the word of God. And because there are no moral boundaries for them, their behavior is evil. They will do things that are contrary to what God's Word says. How do we determine what's evil? Our society tells us that it's kind of a free-flowing idea, right? Some things are evil to some people, but not to others. So as far as pinning down a definition of what evil truly is like, no clue if you go with the standard definition of evil in our culture. As a matter of fact, when I was in college, way back ages ago, One of my professors in a humanities class told me there was no such thing as evil, there's only lesser good. That was his take on evil. Listen, God's word tells us what is right and what is wrong. And evil men who disregard that and come up with their own definition are going to manifest evil behavior. It's a fact of life. Notice they are also described in this 12th verse as imposters. Now, what is an imposter? This carries with it of someone passing themselves off as something that they are not. They want people to think that they are one thing when in reality they are something else. And when we study false teachers in the New Testament, you know what we find? False teachers thrive on coming in and saying, hey, I'm one of you. I'm a follower of God. But in reality, they don't believe anything that God says. Not a word of it. And so they come in presenting themselves to be followers of God, but in reality, the complete opposite. And when they work their way and worm their way into a church, confusion comes. That's why our doctrine, our teaching has to be based on God's word, not the opinions of man and not the distortions of man. Because look at the final description of these people. They are evil imposters. They will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They come in bad, but they get even worse. Why? The Word of God says because they deceive others, and they themselves are deceived. You know what makes a liar a great liar? When they start to believe their own lies. A truly good liar is somebody who is so convincing, he convinces himself. 
These imposters, evil men, false teachers, they come into the church with a bad set of doctrine. And they convince others, and in seeking to convince others, they convince themselves. And as a result, confusion comes into the church. So that's Paul's warning to Timothy. But there's hope. God has given us the Scripture to guide us in truth. He has provided Scripture. And what we as followers of Jesus Christ need to do is persevere in living out scriptural truth. I want you to look at the 14th verse. And notice the Scripture says this. But as for you, in contrast to these men that go from bad to worse, deceive and are being deceived, as for Timothy... Paul says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Paul is telling Timothy, look, the word of God that you follow has substance. And it has substance because it has come from God through men to you. You see, when the Apostle Paul, as one who was sent by God, an apostle, shared with Timothy the apostles' teaching. It wasn't stuff he made up. It was what God had placed on his heart to become Scripture as he wrote it. He was guided by the Spirit of God so that the truths that he taught had authority, reality, truth behind it. And so what he's saying to Timothy, first of all, is this, look, When you come upon the Scripture that you've learned, understand it is something that has meaning and substance because of where you got it from. One who was led by the Spirit of God. And then look at verse 15. In verse 15, we find that Timothy had the context of teaching. And it says this, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had learned the Scripture, but in learning the Scripture, he had learned the way to a personal relationship with God. We find salvation through God's Word. We find a relationship with the Father through the revealed truth that He gives us in His Word. In fact, any gospel that doesn't have its basis found in Scripture really isn't a gospel at all. And so he's saying to Timothy, the way you came into truth was following the truth that you found in Scripture. And therefore, we come to the 16th verse. And as we come to the 16th verse, this is what I want us to truly focus on. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, here's what I want us to really focus on. What makes the Bible so special? Why do we follow the Word of God? What we want to see is an internal testimony that's given to us in the Word of God, and I want us to look at that right now. I think I went one too many here. No. There we go. We'll move on to... I I really got behind, didn't I? Here we go. (laughs) We have power to live God's truth. And it's from Scripture. And it is God-breathed. Look at verse 16. 
In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I want you to think about what Scripture is saying about itself in this text. All Scripture is God-breathed. You know what that means? The word that is translated God-breathed in our English Bibles is the Greek word theopneustos. And what it means is god and breathed. That's why it's translated literally God breathed. But what does breathed mean? The word for breath is neustos, pneumatic. Uh, it means air, it means breath, but it also means spirit. It's an interesting word in the original language. When you find it, the context has to determine is this breath or is this spirit that's being talked about. What we find in this text is that God's word is Spirit-produced. It's not something that people come up with themselves. It is something that God has given them that they must grasp, that they must understand, and then put down. The Spirit of God guides them in their teaching. Now, if you have your outlines, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. And notice what the Scripture says in this text. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, do you catch what that's saying? When the writers of the Scripture wrote it, they weren't making this stuff up as they went along. The Holy Spirit guided them in the very words that they wrote. That's the teaching of Scripture. That's why we look at Scripture the way we do and study it the way we do in this church, verse by verse, word by word, because it is the very Word of God, guided by the Holy Spirit. It has something to say to us that we need to hear. So we need to understand that God's Word is truth and it's God speaking to us. And the Spirit of God actually takes the truth of what He has written and He applies it to our hearts as we depend on the Spirit of God. That's why we should study the Scripture for ourselves. It is in those moments that we spend time alone with God and His Word that the Spirit of God will tweak our hearts and say, look, this is a truth that applies to your life that you need to implement, that you need to live out. God has guided the writers in the truth, and God guides the reader in the truth as well, as the Spirit leads you to understand the truth that He would speak. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, without the Spirit of God and His Word to guide me in what I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rationalize the truth. I'm going to make God's Word say whatever I want it to say. But when the Spirit of God says hey, that's not what I'm saying at all, and you're misapplying that, and this is what it means. I have to listen, and I have to understand the truth of God and how it applies to me. The Spirit of God using the Word of God can divide my thoughts and intentions 
and help me to get past the deception of my own spirit. Then notice the 16th verse talks about the usefulness of Scripture. And what we find is that the Scripture is, first of all, useful for teaching. Notice it says, and is useful for teaching. Now, what do we mean by teaching? Teaching is what guides us in what God has revealed as truth. God's Word is always there to teach, always there to give us what we should understand, how we should view our world. It gives us our worldview, our understanding. God wants us to be familiar with His revelation. So part of the purpose of the Scripture, teaching, helping us to know what's right, what we should do. But unfortunately, you know what happens? We get off track. God's Word says something, but we still have a sin nature. So when we step off track, you know what God's Word does? It rebukes. God's Word says, remember that passage that talks about what you just did? You did wrong. You have missed the mark. You know what was right. You rebelled against it. So I'm here to tell you that you need to stop and get back on the path. And that's what leads us to our next one, correcting. Scripture is given to us not only to tell us where we're wrong, but to tell us where to start getting right once we've done wrong. The correcting carries with it the idea of pointing us to the right path. The word that's used for correcting here in the original language, it meant to help a person who had fallen to get back on their feet. And that's what God's Word does for us. Listen, we're all going to fall. We're all going to miss the mark. When we do, we can resist what the Word of God says, or we can respond to what the Word of God says. When we respond, we are responding to the rebuke and following the correction. And then the correction leads to training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is where we're getting back on that path. And in addition to that, we're learning how to get on the right path and stay on it and keep going. And listen, through a series of failures and successes, I found that the God's Word works best in my life through that process. There are times where I can be stubborn and I can stay resisting the rebuke, and God steps up the correction. Because those whom He loves, He chastens, He disciplines. But all of this is to teach me to lead a righteous life, a godly life, and that's what it's there for you to experience as well. God wants us to lead godly lives. He wants us to live what He has revealed. And being in God's Word is how we do that. The last part of this passage is that the Word of God gives us preparation for doing every good work. Notice the 17th verse. As we close this text, it says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants us to be equipped to do good. I like the way the New American Standard translates this particular passage. So that 
the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, I had a discussion this morning with someone about what the word adequate means, and they pointed something out. In our culture, adequate can mean almost anything, right? For instance, I used to work a state job before I became a pastor, and they would do something very haphazardly, and they'd say, that's good enough for who it's for. That was their definition of adequate. None of us would have accepted that definition for anything that we wanted done. That's not what the scripture means when it says adequate. The word adequate means complete, proficient. In other words, it's done right and it's done well. And here's what it's communicating. Do you want to lead a good life? Allow the word of God to work its process of teaching, of rebuking, of correcting, of training in righteousness, and you will be prepared so that you can do a complete job in doing good. You see, if I'm left to my definition of what good is, it's going to be just like evil. Where there isn't really a solid definition of evil if I don't have God's Word, there isn't really a solid definition of good if I don't have God's Word. God's Word has to tell me what is good, and I need to be ready to receive it. And when I have my mind and my life in line with God's word, I will do that which is good. And the greatest part is what this 17th verse goes on to say. Not only are we adequate, but we are equipped for every good work. The word equipped has the idea of being able to do what God's word says. In other words, it's an empowering word. You see, because the scripture isn't just a collection of man's thoughts. It's something that's inspired by the Spirit of God. It is alive. It is able to transform us, to shape and mold us into people who lead godly lives. Because the Scripture has that kind of power, it equips us to do good works. It's there to shape and mold our thinking and behavior in such a way that we will be useful to God for His purpose. We need to understand that God has uniquely created us. But then when we trust Christ, He recreates us in Christ Jesus by transforming our lives. He makes us the kind of people who will be able to be useful for His purpose. Apart from it, we'll flounder and we'll fail. But as we follow God's truth, God's word, living it out, learning it, believing it, following it, God will take us and make us useful for service in the world and in his church. My encouragement to you this morning, see the importance of God's word. Live it out. Understand that it's not just a collection of theories and ideas. This is the very revelation of God. As you are taught it, as it reproves you and corrects you and trains you in righteousness, that is God's process of transformation for you so that you can be a godly example to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you that your word is indeed God-breathed given by your Holy Spirit to us.
that we might be transformed, that we might be equipped for every good work, for every good service. Teach us to be followers of your word. And let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, so transforming us that we lead the godly lives you desire for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.